Turn with me to those two passages which Brian read for us earlier in our service. Mark chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 10. We'll look at both of them in, in our, our thinking just now. Here at Kirkpatrick Memorial, we gather together to worship God. We read his word together and we think about it. And there's a purpose in all of that. I hope you know that. We're not on autopilot here doing Sunday morning stuff. Our desire is to learn from God's word how we can be faithful followers of Jesus Christ and to grow in that. That's my purpose every time when I come to, to preach to you. It's either to call you for the first time to come to know and follow Jesus, or else to encourage you as you, you live that life and grow in it. We're hoping to become disciples of Jesus Christ with the whole of our lives here at Kirkpatrick Memorial. You've maybe seen that emphasis play itself out in different ways in our church life. And certainly in my preaching, I try from time to time to, to present you with very concrete parts of life and say, right, how can we live for Jesus Christ in this area? In the spring of last year, for example, we had a four-week series in our morning services on how to be a follower of Jesus Christ in our workplace. And we looked at some video materials in our discipleship groups, and people were encouraged and went back to their workplaces, if not 100% happy and content and, and triumphant, at least aware of God's presence with them and the sense that God would be in this with them. Well, this morning we want to begin another four-week series in which we're going to look at another crucial area of life where all of us must live. And if we want to live well as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to live well in this particular sphere. For four weeks, we're going to talk about family. We're going to learn together what God's Word teaches about family, and we're going to consider how a disciple of Jesus Christ lives in the light of their family commitments. Now, before I go any further, I better tell you what we're not going to do in this series. I'm not going to choose a series of four different relationships and say, this is how a wife and a husband should interact. This is how a parent and child should interact. That ground is covered quite often, church life actually. I've already preached two series where the general biblical principles of of how these relationships should be lived out are demonstrated. We, we did it when we looked at Paul's letter to Titus and also when we looked at Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We're not going to do that. Instead, we're going to take a step back uh, from, from specific relationships and talk about family in more general terms, getting a bigger picture. So what we're going to say here isn't going to leave anybody out. So if you're a single person, not married, with no children, and not currently part of a strong nuclear family, you won't be left out by the kind of things that we're saying here today. We're going to come to an understanding of family together where everyone is included. 
regardless of your, your situation in your biological family. Having told you what I'm not going to do, it might help you to have some idea of what we're going to try and do for those four times when we think about family. Today we're going to think about the place of the family in God's purposes. The second sermon I'm going to teach, uh, uh, we're going to look at what God's Word teaches about singleness. In the third, we're going to look at what God's Word teaches about marriage. And then in the fourth, about what God's Word teaches about the kind of homes that we should have as followers of Jesus Christ. Having said all that, I feel a bit daunted, so let's just pray. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it isn't given to us only for spiritual experiences. It's not just there to to warm our hearts. But Lord, we thank you that your word can teach us how to live. That it really can be a light to bring us into dark places where we can't see the way. Help us this morning and in these weeks ahead as we come to think about what, what you have to say to us about our family life. Lord, help us to take your word on board and to long to live it for your glory and for our good. Amen. We're going to begin this morning by thinking about the place of the family in the purposes of God. I grew up in two families. I grew up in my biological family where Lutz and Ermgard Ebbinghaus looked after five of us and did their best to navigate that, that madness that was our family life. So I lived in that family, but I also lived always in a church family. For me, the significant church families that I belonged to were first Portadown Presbyterian and then Hamilton Road Presbyterian in Bangor. Those two were very formative communities for me to grow up in, families where I grew up. As I was growing up in these two families, I was conscious of a, I wouldn't say a tension, but a question mark as to how the two relate to each other, and particularly where our allegiance lies. As I listened to conversations, I noticed it was, it was something that came up, particularly when people were thinking about whether they should take on a new job in church life. Should I become the Sunday school superintendent? You know, a person would be left scratching their head. Church, family, where does, where does my allegiance lie? But I heard, I heard people talk about, well, actually, it's quite simple. Uh, and they, they would give this formula, which, which stuck with me, and maybe some of you have grown up with this formula in, in your head too. Our, our loyalty lies first with God, of course, and then with our family, and then with our church. As I say, I think some of you will have come across that formula before. I think we'll use that as a starting point 
this morning for our discussion as we think about family this morning. This is going to be pretty controversial just now, but I'm not going to take any blame for that, okay? I'm just going to sidestep the blame right from the word go, because I'm not the one introducing the controversy here. Jesus is. Look again at what he says in those Bible passages we read just a moment ago. Turn with me to Mark chapter 10, page 976. If this didn't sound controversial to you, it's because you weren't listening. That's the only reason I can imagine why this wouldn't have been controversial to you. Jesus says, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me isn't worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me isn't worthy of me. Strong words. Now turn to the other passage, Mark chapter 3, verse 31. In this passage, we see that Jesus isn't kidding. Whenever he's told that his mom and his, his brothers are outside looking for him, he says, who are my mom and my brothers? And he looks at the people sitting in the circle around him, those who are drinking in his words. Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. Are you following Jesus here? If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're trying to do the will of God, then Jesus calls you sister, brother, and mother. He says that you're part of his family. He says that there's another kind of family, and it's one that takes precedence over our biological family. It's the family of his disciples. The family of those who do the will of God. As far as Jesus is concerned, the biological family is not the most important institution in the world. The family is not the place where we're most significantly shaped to become disciples of Jesus Christ. The family is not the primary vehicle for God's grace and salvation to a waiting world. As far as Jesus is concerned, the church is the most important institution on the earth. The church is the place where we're most significantly shaped to become disciples of Jesus Christ. The church is the way in which God has chosen to save a lost world. Controversial, all right, isn't it? This is what Jesus teaches. Good, committed, evangelical Christians, we struggle with this strand of Jesus' teaching because we tend to put biological family first. We assume that the biological family is right at the center 
of God's purposes for the world, we can hardly believe the things that Jesus says in these verses. We end up dismissing them, actually. We dismiss them and we pass them by because we don't believe that Jesus could really mean that. We go and look for verses that that we like better, that already fit in with what we believe about the world. If Jesus sounds like a family smasher to our 21st century years, that would have been even more so the case in his own context. You see, family was everything in those times. You've got to to try and imagine the culture that Jesus lived into. In those days, rabbis could place limits on how long a man could go without having sexual intercourse with his wife. If you weren't bearing children, that was regarded as sinful. You were spitting in the face of God. If you didn't have kids, you were diminishing the image of God in humankind. Childbearing was an obligation, and and quite often the local rabbi would have a, a stipulation of a minimum number of children that would be acceptable for a family to have. Now, all of that sounds really strange to us, but remember where these people are coming from. These people are quite literally the children of Israel. They're the descendants of Abraham. Last year, we learned of how this group of people came into being when God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans and he promised them, I'm going to make you into a great nation. Abraham's family, he was told, was going to grow and grow and grow into a family of families, into a nation. And all the world was going to be blessed through them. Do you see now why why families and, and large families would be right at the heart of Israel's identity and, and purposes. We've already seen for a couple of moments here how controversial Jesus' words were and how controversial they sound to us. But Jesus' whole life was massively controversial. You see, Jesus claimed to be the Messiah, the chosen one of God, and yet he didn't have a family. He wasn't married. He didn't have kids. So Jesus stands before the people of his day claiming to be uniquely blessed of God, and yet the very mark of God's blessing that everybody agrees on, that a person has a family, Jesus didn't have a family. He didn't do biological family. The idea was scandalous to the people of Jesus' day. Biological family was never actually as crucial in the plans of God as the people of Jesus' day made it out to be. I want to take you for one moment. This is not an academic exercise. Please trust me. I want to take you right back to the the birth of the nation of Israel. We we assume that that Israel is some, some biologically pure community, that it really is built up on biological family, but, but that's simply not the case. Whenever Jacob went down into Egypt, 
to escape the famine in Canaan, God's word tells us that 70 people went with him. That was a pretty much a, a biologically pure family. That was Jacob and his family. But by the time they leave Egypt 400 years later, we're told that there are 600,000 men, not including women and children. So if you do the maths there, how many people are there here? Two or three million people minimum. And we're told in in Exodus chapter 12, verse 38, that when the, the people left Egypt, many other people went up with them. This is a ragtag bunch of slaves that's been formed over 400 years of captivity in Egypt. Biological purity, long gone. Biblical scholars agree that that there were people from from many different parts of the, the Egypt area had been brought into this family of Egypt. Why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this to demonstrate that right from the start, biological purity wasn't the thing that created the people of God. Israel was never purely a biological entity. It wasn't bloodstream or family ties that made a person part of the family of God. The thing that made people part of the family of God was a way of life a common commitment to serve Yahweh, the God of Israel, that is, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is what made you part of God's family. There's another aspect to all of this that helps us to make sense of Jesus' teaching. In Hebrew thought, to be called a son or a daughter actually doesn't have as much to do with biological blood lines as it would in our case. Do you remember the story of the prodigal son? Do you remember the first son leaves home, goes off, squanders all, well, half of his dad's wealth at least, and then comes home? What does he say to his dad when he gets home? I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Being a son in the Hebrew mind was much less to do with biology than it was to do with obedience and your commitment to the Father. A son or a daughter were truly a son or a daughter of the Father if they obeyed, if, if they lived the life that this Father had, had set out for his family. And suddenly, the things that Jesus teaches in Mark chapter 3 start making a whole lot of sense this, this visit of his mom and his brothers, Jesus responds and he says, who are my mother and brothers? Who is it? Not biology, obedience. Those who do the will of my Father God are my brother and sisters and mother. Do you see what's going on here? Jesus is taking the biological family which feels like it's right at the center of everything for all of us. And he takes it slightly to the side. He says, no. The biological family is not the be-all and end-all. 
the biological family finds its place within and underneath the greater family of God. The, the family of God is to be our first family. This is the place that demands our primary allegiance and primary commitment. These are the people who are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ and of one another. This is challenging stuff. As followers of Jesus Christ, when we demonstrate a real commitment to him, it's possible that our biological family might experience division and a split. Isn't that what we learned in chapter 10, verse 21 of Matthew's gospel? Jesus says that when that split and that division comes, he says, those who love their mother or father more than me aren't worthy of me. Those who love their children more than me aren't worthy of me. We need to be careful with all that we've said so far this morning. And it's important to keep our thinking clear. Allegiance to the kingdom of God, Jesus says, comes before family. But it doesn't destroy family. We can see that in Jesus' own teaching. Time and time again, Jesus teaches in such a way to support the biological family. That very thing that he's taken slightly off from center, he says it's still vital and it's still important. Think, for example, of how Jesus preached strenuously against divorce. He affirmed marriage. For Jesus, marriage was sacred. And and the the coming together of a man and a woman is something that no person should ever separate and certainly not lightly. Jesus welcomed children. He he recognized their importance. He longed to see them blessed. If anybody ever pushed them to the side, Jesus says, no, no, keep the children here as part of the community. He spoke against the kind of neglect that children experienced. He says, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. Whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. He speaks against divorce. He speaks up for children. And he affirms the family whenever he condemned those who would break their families. There's a very interesting bit of teaching in the Gospels where Jesus challenged the misuse of what was called the Corban. The Corban was a vow that you could make, a very spiritual vow, that your property would become the property of the church of the temple and couldn't be used for any other purposes. Now, what was happening in Jesus' day is that some, some children were using that to punish their aging parents. They would commit their own resources to the church, which seemed like a very spiritual act, so that they then didn't have to take care of their aging parents as, as they needed more and more care. Jesus came down on them like a ton of bricks. He said, don't spiritualize this. Your commitment to your family stands. Don't don't give money to the temple before you've taken care of your primary commitment, which is to your parents. So Jesus didn't allow people to, to take shortcuts out of their family commitments. 
even when they dressed them up in some sort of spiritual promise. When you take Jesus' teaching as a whole, I think it's true to say what we've said in these last couple of minutes. He supports biological family. But it's also clear that he places it in a bigger context. He places it forever under the new first family, the community that we call the church. A few moments ago, we started in our thinking by, I I used this illustration that I picked up from my childhood years of how people talked uh, about church and family. The received wisdom is that our loyalty lies first with God, then with family, and then with church. Well, having looked at Jesus' teaching on the subject, I, I think we might want to revise that a little. I think we need to make some adjustments. I think I'd reword it something like this. Our loyalty to God is lived out when our biological family finds its fulfillment in the family of God, which is the church. I want to close this morning by thinking just for two or three minutes about the implications that all of this might have for our families and for our church life. First of all, one implication for biological families. According to Jesus, the biological family is not the be-all and end-all. Jesus didn't even have a family of his own. And I think there's a paradox here. The paradox is that if we are a family who make the number one goal in our lives the pursuit of the happiness of our family, we're going to live a stunted and a shrunken existence. Paradoxically, the family that will find joy and fulfillment, will find the real purposes of God, is the biological family that's willing to come under and find its place in God's family. Jesus was right when he said it, and right in so many ways. Seek first the kingdom of God and all other things you need will be given to you. Trust God with our families and he will give us family life much beyond what we could find ourselves. What then are the implications of all of this for our church family? Well, let me suggest too No one should ever be marginalized or excluded from church family life on the basis of their their biological family situation. I think churches need to repent here. As I look around, I wonder if I'm not seeing a trend in church life that idolizes the biological family. It's almost like a sales pitch or a marketing ploy How can we get people in and how can we keep them happy? Well, if we cater for their families. It's almost like looking after the family becomes an end of the church. 
Friends, I think this whole emphasis then becomes self-perpetuating. Parents join churches based on what they see there for their families, what's on offer for them and their kids, rather than asking what their family could bring and how their family could serve in the family of God in this place. Churches need to support families with children. I, I couldn't agree more. I hope that ours does and learns how to do so more in the future. But that's not our purpose, our sole purpose. Our purpose is to see many people, married people and single people, people who have children and people who don't, find their place in God's family. Know that they're equal in terms of their their value and their identity regardless of the situation in their biological family. In the church family, no one should ever be excluded. And a second implication, I think, of Jesus' family is so obvious that I hardly need to say it. If it's true that this is the family of God, then let's live like a family. I thank God that hardly a day goes by when I don't see a glimpse here or a glimpse there of people in Kirkpatrick Memorial who are learning to be a family of God's people. People praying for each other. People helping each other when the wheels fall off in some area of our lives or other. People opening their homes and their lives to one another. Let's keep doing this. Let's do it more. Let's explore more and more the glory of what God's called us to. A family where we're brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. Where we're brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And where we're a community, the likes of which the world never can comprehend. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for the biological families which we represent. Thank you for mums and dads who brought us up, for brothers and sisters who shared life with us, for children and grandchildren whom we now bless. Lord, we thank you that we all have known the blessing of being part of a family. Lord, we pray this morning that you would impress on our hearts this incredible reality that you've called us to an even greater family. A place where you are our Father. A place where Jesus is our brother. And a place where all those who know and love Jesus are our brothers and sisters. Lord, we pray that you would show us more and more the reality of what you give us in your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.